It is wonderful to see you here this morning. Um, you know, normally we'd be back. It's the beginning of the year. We'd be back on track and back working through Corinthians. Uh, but at the beginning of the year, I like to take time and, and uh, go, go over the, the church's mission. I don't know if you've ever asked that question, why are we here? It's a great philosophical question, isn't it? Why am I on this planet, right? Why do I exist? You don't have to go down that road, but... Uh, Right? God has a purpose and a plan. Christianity actually answers that question wonderfully. And for the church, we could ask that question, why are we? Why are we here in Winton, USA, Atwater, USA, Merced, USA? Um, I love attaching USA to that. I was a pastor in, in Oklahoma one time referred to Collinsville, USA. It's Collinsville, USA, and there's like less than 4,000 people there, you know? And it was just like, it made it sound so big, right? It's Collinsville, USA, we're here, and it's like, we barely have a, have a, you know, a post office, but um, it's the same here. There's a lot of small towns, isn't it? But why are we here? Why has God placed us here? And I know you, I, hopefully, you, I, I, I believe you know the answer to this, and it's taken from Matthew 28, uh, verses 18 through 20, is the verse we'll look at here in a moment. Uh, but our mission statement, can, can someone tell us our mission statement? Great Commission, that's true, that's kind of cheating, because it is taken from that, you're right, you're technically right, but what is the nice, clever way that we've devised so you can remember it? <laughs> Which is kind of a joke, because no one seems to be remembering it, right? <laughs> to see non-believing people become committed followers of Jesus Christ, right? That's the, and you're right, it is, it's the Great Commission, that's what it is. And if you were to quote the Great Commission, I would, I would say you are correct, right? That's good. And, and I think this, this, this statement is it's so important today, uh, more so than ever. I, I, you know, as you, we look at Scripture and we, we, we know the commands and we, we see what Jesus tells us to do, I love the Hebrew writer who says, you know, fix your eyes upon Christ as you run this race. Right? Fix your eyes. Run this race. Cast off these sins that so easily entangle us. Now, why is that so important? Why is that verse, and we know this, we've heard it? Because once we take our eyes off of Christ, we can justify sin quite quickly. Once there is someone who's not in the room any longer who brings conviction, once that element is gone, well, then it's quite easy to justify a whole bunch of sin, isn't it? Now, now individually, we, we, we go, yeah, I understand that. But a church can do the very, the very same thing. You know, in, in Revelation chapter 2, Jesus warns the church in Ephesus uh, to, to remember their first love, right? And you kind of think, of course, right? How do we forget our first love? Have you not taken a, a look at your own life and went, man, he saved me, right? Ah, oh, Jesus, thank you. But apparently it kind of become easy, can it? The early church struggled with this. And if you read that church in Ephesus, Revelation chapter 2, they did a lot of great things. I mean, there's things in there that are, they're, they're going against the Nicolaitans who who were calling themselves Christian, but they were really just a, a pagan group that were idol worshipers and practicing sexual morality. And Jesus says, you hate them, that's good. And he tells them, you've maintained the truth, you've kept the truth, all these great things. They'd be like, man, I, I hope we can say that of Faith Community Bible Church. But then he says, you forgot. I have one thing against you, you forgot your first love. And it's so important to Jesus that you remember your first love that he says, if you don't repent of this, he calls it sin, if you don't re repent of this, I'm going to come and take my lampstand. You will no longer be a church. You're going to call yourselves a church, right? But biblically speaking, spiritually speaking, they're no longer a church. 
That should wake us all up, right? We should go, oh, that's pretty important. Jesus has already told us, look, if you're not for me, if you're not sold out for me as a disciple of Christ, well, guess what? You stand against me, right? He tells us that in the Ten Commandments. God equates any type of worship, right, that's, that goes away from soul worship of him. He says, this, these are people who hate me. Right? It's pretty serious to God. So we look at this and we go, well, we better, be, we better keep on track. And you think, well, this, you know, this, this can't happen. Well, in church history, it happens. It happened in the apostles' age. In, in Galatians chapter 1, 6 through 10, Paul is marveling, right? He's scratching his head as he's telling these, these, this church, he's saying, what, what happened? Why did you stop believing? Why did you go to this other gospel, which is no gospel at all? Who came in? Who tripped you up, right? And Paul, I mean, I, I picture him scratching his head. I just, I'm like, what is, what's going on, right? And he goes and says, this is no gospel at all. So you have this, this picture that, People are saying, this is the gospel, and Paul's saying, it's not. And he goes on to say, look, if anyone preaches you a gospel that is not what we taught you, that's not found in the Bible, let them be accursed. Pronounces anathema. And he says, he goes beyond that. It's not enough for that. He says, I don't care if an angel shows up. And you're shaking in your boots, right? Because we see that when angels show up, there's, someone's usually scared. And he says, I don't care if an angel shows up, preaches you something different. Let them be accursed. And we see just in these few passages how important it is for a church to be focused on why they are here. Right? Why are you here? Why are we here? He has commands for us. He has work for us. And we must use our gifts and our abilities towards that end. All right? Jesus told us, how do we summarize the law when he was asked, that, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus responded, Luke 10, right, 27, love the Lord your God with all your what? Heart, mind, soul, strength, right? That's everything. All that you are, full dedication, all your thought processes, all your resources, all your gifts, all your abilities, all your talents, all of it, love him first and foremost. And then he goes on and says what? Love who? Your neighbor right? That's when we can finally love our neighbor, when we're finally sold out to Christ. Because we have a hard time loving others who aren't ourselves, right? We, I have no problem loving myself. It's hard to love our neighbor. But when our eyes are fixed upon Christ, and we're running after this race, and we're casting off these sins that so easily entangle us, right? The Lord is glorified. And then we begin to love. And this is very important for our, our mission, understanding who you are as a disciple of Christ. Your eyes have to be fixed on Christ, because if they're not there, we're simply not going to do what Jesus commands us to do. So here's the passage. It's Matthew 28. Hopefully your Bibles are there. I'm just going to read 18 through 20, the last three verses of Matthew's account of the gospel, right, of Jesus Christ. And he says this in verse 18, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Let me add a brief prayer. Father, thank you again for this time. Thank you for the truth of your word, the precepts of your word. Lord, let us have ears to hear this morning. Let us be encouraged by this passage. Let us Lord, to hear the words of Jesus speaking to our souls. Uh, we love you, Lord, we do. Often we don't do it as we should, but Lord, we love you. 
And it is our desire to honor you in our lives and as a church to place you first, to place your word first. So God, give us that passion, that drive, that understanding. Let your spirit teach us this morning. We commit this time to you. Pray your blessing on it. I ask, get me out of the way that every life fixed upon you, upon your truth. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've come to this passage, and if you're familiar with uh, the Synoptic Gospels, right, this is Matthew's account of, of um, Jesus' commission, and it's really the Great Commission. He doesn't, he doesn't end his account, if you notice, with the resurrection, right, or the ascension. He focuses, and he's the only one to give us a focus here upon this Great Commission. And that's very significant as we look at the, the writer of this. Right? Matthew is focusing on the Jews. He's writing to this, this culture group. That's his heartbeat. Right? That's why he starts with uh, the genealogy, right? the lineage of Jesus, that he actually fulfilled all the Old Testament. He's of the right, uh, the, the right uh, lineage. He's got it all. He is. He's the fulfillment of prophecy. You see this in Matthew over and over again. It becomes very important. And then the fact that he is the only one. And you would think, being a good Jew and hearing that Jesus fulfilled this, you would say, yeah, yay Jews, right? Yay Israel, this is great. But see, Matthew, it's very important for Matthew to not end because he probably thinks, under the power of the Holy Spirit, I would imagine, right, that, that there would be those who say this is just for Jews. So Matthew writing to Jews stresses, only gospel to stress, yeah, guess what? Jesus came and he was a Jew, you're right. But he's commissioned you to go to the whole world. It's no longer one culture, now it's cultures. Now there's different colors of skin. Now there's different languages. And the gospel crashes all of that, right? And it brings redemption. So here's the Great Commission. And it's for all of the followers of Jesus Christ. It is for you, it is for me. Everyone who says, the Lord is my Savior, well, guess what? Now you have a work to do. You're a missionary. And everyone said, Amen. Yeah, you are. When you walk out these doors, you're on the mission field. Where do you go? Where do you work? You're on the mission field. This is a calling and a commission that Jesus has given to you. This is why I say it's very important that you understand that our eyes need to be fixed upon our Savior. Because once we stop looking at Him, well, this will become, well, someone else will do it. Right? It's for somebody else. I've got these other things. When our eyes are off, Jesus clearly will justify sin. And, and if you look to Revelation chapter 2, he says, if you're not loving, if you forget your first love, he calls them to repent. We can attach sin to that if Jesus is saying that. So what does he actually want us to do? If you look at this, Jesus does something wonderful. He sandwiches the command between two great things that you have to know about Christ. right? And they're meant to encourage us. And the first one, my first point, is Jesus' authority. He first tells him before he says, hey, look, I want you to go into this dark world and be a light. The bunch of people are going to hate you, right? It doesn't say that, but we've, we've lived long enough, right? We know there's going to be opposition. But Jesus says all authority. He begins by telling his disciples, hey, right? I'm Jesus. I have all authority, right? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. It's not a weak authority. It's not a partial authority. It's not a sometimes authority. All, right? All authority. All powerful authority. All authority in heaven and on earth. And so under your notes, I just put, read this, write this out, in heaven. What does that mean that he has all authority in heaven? 
Usually we see the word in heaven or, or powers of, of this sort in heaven, the heavenly places. We attach it, right, to, to uh, spiritual things, demonic powers, right? Some verses that attach to that. Paul says in Ephesians 6, verse 12, where we not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So what is Jesus telling you? He's over all the demonic forces on the earth, isn't he? Isn't it amazing? We know that. Is there not anyone who follows him? No, yeah, he's God, man. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Even Satan will come, right? All of them will confess. He is Lord. But there's something. Why does the Savior point this out? Why is it important for you and I to hear Jesus say, guess what? I'm Lord over all of it. I have authority over everything. Because you and I are going to be, we're going to need this encouragement, aren't we? We're going to face some things and go, I don't know. This, this is scary, right? And Jesus says, hey, all authority. There is no name under heaven which has been given to you, which men might be saved. It's the name of Christ, the name of Jesus. It tells us something uh, about who God is, right? In Ephesians, Paul says in 1, 20 through 21, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him in the right hand of the heavenly places. Far above all principalities, there are principalities and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Right? So not only is, is God, you have this interesting moment where he sees, Paul is telling us that God the Father has placed all this right at the feet of Christ, and we know that. Right? So not only does he have authority over this, it is God-given. It is God, Right? Why isn't it amazing that he points this out and says, you know what, you need to know this. Because you and I are going to go into dark places. We're going to take truth. It'll be a light that shines. You're going to have rejection. We're going to face that. Jesus told us, the world is going to hate you because of me. Right? I don't know about you, but those aren't the most encouraging words. Right? But he doesn't leave us there, does he? He goes on and says, but take heart. I've overcome. I've overcome the world. And all authority, heaven on earth, right, has been placed at my feet. He has all authority. So his first one is in heaven. What about on earth? Right? How can it be otherwise? If Christ is our Savior and we believed in the atoning sacrifice, we've trusted in, in God's propitiation for our sins poured out upon Jesus on the cross, then I believe it would be hypocrisy if we did not surrender to him all authority in our lives. Of course, he has all authority. Let me ask you this question. Maybe it's something you need to add to your, devotion, your devotional time and as you spend time in prayer and think about, does God have authority over your life? It's easy to say yes, but then if you start taking assessment, is there areas that, that you have not surrendered? Does the Bible have authority over you? Does God's Word have authority over you? Do you come to Scripture and read it and go, oh man, Lord, forgive me? Or do you just go, you know what, I got that one, I got that. You know, it's pretty, I'm pretty good, right? Those are two extremes there, but you get the idea. Jesus told His disciples in John 15, 14, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Are you following the commands of Jesus? You see, this this command, go and make, they're imperative verbs, right? That means that it's a command. He is commanding us to go. He's commanding us to stop sitting on our hands, 
and go. He's commanding you to open your mouth and speak. He's commanding you to go into all the world. He's commanding you to go into your family, into your workplace, wherever you go. And he's saying, be a light. Sometimes that is. It's rebuking. Sometimes it's loving. Sometimes it's just sitting with a friend who's broken. Sometimes you don't have the words. You just say, you know what, I'll I'll just spend time with you. Be the hands and feet of Christ. But he commands us to go nonetheless. We are his. We are under his authority. This is why our, our eyes have to be fixed on our Savior. This is why we have to love him. Christ is to be known in the world. And he desires that his, his church would communicate that truth. So he sets it out and he says here, as you go into all the world, take heart, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And that's the preface to our, to our assignment, isn't it? Here it is. I am Jesus. Trust me. And then he goes on. He tells us what we must do. And this is the second point, right? The disciples' assignment. Or we could say, sticking with my title, right? The disciples' mandate. And he goes on in verse 19. Go. It's our verb, right? Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. So what does he say? The first thing is you are to reach all, right? Go, there, go therefore, and make disciples of all nations. <clears throat> Here we see the uniqueness, right, really, of, of what I was saying earlier of, of Matthew's gospel. We see in John's gospel, John takes, you know, 19 to 20 days of Jesus' life. That's all he does. He takes those 19 to 20 days and he puts them in his letter and he says, this is what, this is the heartbeat, this is what you need to know about Christ to believe on him. If you've read John's gospel, you know that belief jumps off every page. He says it all the time that you would know him, you would know who he is, you would know how to believe, you would know you'd have eternal life. Luke is written to the Gentiles. Speaking to the ideal man, this is who Jesus is, God incarnate, right? He's perfect. Mark writes to the Roman audience. He stresses the miracle worker. Look how he overcame the world. But Matthew, right, writing to Jews, telling them, look, he is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecy. He has come. His name is Emmanuel. He is Jesus. He is risen. He's overcome the grave. He's paid for our debts on the, on the cross. And then he goes and he says, guess what? He's commissioning you, every Jew, every, every believer, every follower, to go and make disciples. So, therefore, these Jews are not limited to just simply go to Judaism, right? They are to go to Gentiles. That's a huge break. We see this because we're a New Testament church. We are Gentiles, and we are blessed by this moment Someone has taken the gospel to you. Somebody has shared it with you. At some point in your life, you've heard the truth. At some point, the Spirit awakened you. At some point, you believed on Christ. You are here because somebody took the message forward. And God desires that we would do the same for others. I believe whenever the church has done this, right, and, and has taught the gospel, has come under the authority of God's word and said, this is what it says, the church has prospered because the Bible forces us to look out forces us to be the hands and feet of Christ. It tells us to go the extra mile. It forces us to stop being prideful, stop looking upon yourself, start looking at the lost, right? Realizing who you are in Christ, being redeemed and saying, you know what, he's got a message and there's a broken world out there and guess what, he's given me the message to go share it. 
Now you're going to come across those and they're going to ask questions and, and you're not going to have all the answers. You will have some of them, but that's okay, right? As you reach them, know that there is an answer. Guarantee you there is an answer. The Bible has it. It's very important for us, and I believe, you know, if the, the church doesn't do this, I think it's just a matter of time for the church fails. Because discipleship, and I believe this, demands evangelism. If you're going to disciple someone, you have to tell someone about Christ. So the question we might write in our notes is, is what are we afraid of? What are we afraid of, of reaching the lost? What keeps us? What's that stumbling block? What's that hindrance? Do we feel like, like we might be like Paul, what some might call us like the Corinthians? He's this, he's this crazy guy, you know, he, he, he walks funny. Paul has to defend who he is. Maybe, we, you know, on Acts 17, when, when Paul says, look, here's this, I see you have the statue of this unknown God. Uh, let me tell you who he is. And those Stoic and the Epicurean philosophers look at him and go, what is this babbler? What is he babbling about? Right? But he presses on. He explains who Christ is. And there are those who just write him off. He's just a simple babbler. But there are others who go, this is very interesting. We've got to hear you again. We need to reach. Be prepared to be rejected. That's going to happen. But we have to reach all. Jesus commands it. Then he says, when you do reach some and they come and they believe on Christ, and this goes to the second letter B here, uh, he says, baptize all, right? If you've not been baptized this morning, you're a follower of Christ, you need to fill out the connection card or come see me. We need to get that on the calendar. You need to be obedient. It's one of the ordinances of the church. But he says, baptize them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, right? So it's important that we understand it's not an empty ceremony, right? Jesus was immersed. And he came out. For, for us, we see the symbolism. Not only we're following after Christ, we see the symbolism. He hasn't just separated or cleaned you in part. He's cleaned you in whole. And we are immersed in him. And we're overwhelmed by his spirit. And that's the baptism that identifies us as an outward sign of an inward conversion. Right? And it says, you know what? I'm a part of the family of God. He has set me apart. He has sanctified me. And I am to put him first in all things. The first step of any believer should be baptism. I think I've shared this story before. I was one of those who didn't like getting in front of people. God has a sense of humor, right? And I remember going through Bible college, and I was filling out the application and ready to graduate, going into the ministry. And, and one of the questions were, have you been baptized? And I, I'm sitting there thinking, no, I haven't. This is really embarrassing, Right? Here I'm about ready to graduate, and I think I've told this story before, but the church I was attending was scheduled baptism. I knew the pastor said, yeah, can I, I need, I need to come. And kind of looked at me funny. Oh, okay, that's good, right? So I went to the class, set, set through that, and, and uh, that night I was hoping that not many of the students would be in church. It was Sunday night service, and, and uh, I, was, I looked out there, and I thought, that's not a whole lot. That's good, right? Because I felt just felt embarrassed. Got baptized, came out. The president of the university was there. And he knew me. So there was no more being shamed. That was all out of the bag, right? But he said these words, right? I said, I'm so proud of you. It's never wrong to get baptized, to be obedient. It's never wrong to be obedient. Because I had shared my testimony. I would shared that I had neglected this. It's never wrong to be obedient. So if you haven't been baptized, you need to fill out. Let me know. 
You need to be baptized. Follow in the ordinance and the commands of Scripture. And Jesus goes on for me in the last part of verse 20. It says, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded. So we need to teach all. The church doesn't get to pick and choose. Pastors should not get the choice to pick and choose. I know I say we should work through Corinthians and pray about that, and that's what we're going to teach through. We can't teach it all in one whack, so we have to work through it. We have no right to skip Scripture, skip passages. Today it's very popular, I think, in churches. You know, it's offensive to say the word such as sin or uh, repent. <clears throat> which I find is, is ironic because that's how Jesus began his earthly ministry. Right? Our Savior who has redeemed us, he himself says, the kingdom of God is at hand, therefore repent. Repent. That's good for us. I know our sin and our nature doesn't want to hear those things, but it's good. It's not popular in church, but the Bible teaches it. Going back to Revelation chapter 2, all these great things this church was doing. Like I wish, man, I hope that's kind of oh, that's, that's I hope that's our church. But at the same time, Lord, let us not lose sight of our first love. But He tells them to repent. So, what should the church be focusing on? We have to have a high view of Scripture. I think it's ironic that to hear in this verse alone, countless many others, but you hear Jesus say, "Teach all that I have commanded," and it's popular today for many churches to not even open the Bible. I mean, how can you fulfill just this one verse here? We're not opening the Bible, right? So we have to have a high view of Scripture. You have to have a high view of Scripture. You have to come and say it has every right and every authority. I have to listen. I have to hear it. You're going to, to, to trip through it, as I say, and stumble through it because there's going to be things that are going to take time to understand, but keep at it. Don't give up. <clears throat> Jesus said when he was being tempted in Matthew 4, 4, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It begins with Scripture. You have to love, right, and endure, pursue, read, resolve to trust God's Word. Get it in you. You have to have a high view of God. R.C. Sproul one time said, this was many years ago, and I remember contemplating on it, and I thought, man, he's so right. He was asked a question, what is, what, is the, what is the one thing the church is lacking today? And without hesitation, he says, the church doesn't understand who God is. Well, that seems kind of ironic. We go every Sunday and we sing these songs and we hear a message. He was talking about the true, who, who, the character and the heart of God, his attributes, how at the cross we think, you know, in the New Testament church that God is all of, all of love, right? And he is. He is love. The Bible tells us that, but he also is holy and he must punish sin. He is justice. He didn't create justice. He is justice. He is righteous. And he has to deal with, deal with all of our sin problems. That's why our only hope is in Christ, knowing Him. I wonder today, you know, where have all the question, where have all the God-fearers gone? Where's the time, the last time you've quivered and said, He is holy? In your quiet time or your devotion time, Proverbs 9 tells us, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. When was the last time you were just overwhelmed? How great and awesome and powerful and yet this God wants something to do with me. That statement overwhelms me all the time. The other thing with the church needs to teach is that man uh, has a sin problem. Man is depraved. He's lost. He's dead in his sins. He's suppressing truth. He's desiring to, to know the truth but can't find it. And he will never find it outside of Christ. Paul says in Ephesians 2, And he made you alive. Right? The work of God, who were dead in trespasses and sins, 
in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, or by nature, by nature, children of wrath, just as the others. Every person is born into sin. God is our only answer. Christ alone is our only answer. I believe we need to stress salvation by God's grace. Grace alone, faith alone, and Christ alone. Ephesians 2.8 For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves, it's a gift. Just as man is lost, there is hope in God. God has the answer to our problem. See this at the beginning. We read our scripture passages through December. We saw in Genesis chapter 3, God's answer to our sin problem started there and unfolded in the, in the Gospels. Right? Jesus has ascended. Now here's the truth. Here's how you can have hope. Here's how tonight you can lay your head on your pillow and rest in God's peace because he has dealt with something you could never fix. We trust and repent of our sins. We trust in Christ. I believe the church has a work to do. It should teach this. We should be active in using our gifts. Ephesians 2.10, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. We should walk in them. I also believe firmly the church should teach the security of the believer. Christ has secured something for us we can never, and it's foolish to think that we could do something that would lose it. John 10.28 says, And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Paul is in wonderful agreement with Christ when he says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities or powers that Jesus has authority over, nor things present nor things to come, nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you have time today, I would encourage you to go and just simply read Romans chapter 8. It begins with no separation. There is therefore no separation. There's no separation. It ends, right? Or excuse me, no condemnation. It ends with no separation. There's therefore no condemnation, and you cannot be separate from this wonderful love. This is why we sing songs, why we lift our voices, why we attend on Sundays, why we want to make him known. Others, we come to know this wonderful truth. So as Jesus unfolds this for us, he says all authority, right? It's been given to me on heaven and on earth. He encourages us with that, and then he gives us the assignment. Here it is, reach, teach, baptize, right? Go get them. And then he, he sandwiches this command with more of, of, of assurance here, right? Of, of encouragement, Jesus' assurance. He ends the verse, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Isn't it amazing you think about, about this, this, this gospel? I mean, Matthew has ended just as he began. He began by telling us this baby was born. And his name was what? Emmanuel. Which means what? God with us. And then we hear Jesus saying, when you go in all those dark places, I want you to understand and know that I have authority over all of it. I will be with you. I will be with you. I will be with you even to the end 
of the age. This is, right, our assignment. This is our mandate. We are to trust Him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. I think God is challenging us and calling us into deeper waters. But just as He does that, you have to know He's the one who created the waters. He is with us. So an application of this, right? How do we go about this? What has to happen in your life in this new year? What does it have to happen in Faith Community Bible Church for this to happen? I put this under a dis- the disciple of Christ must, number one, love God. If you don't love God, we're, we're, you're just not going to get there. Again, Luke 10, 27, love the Lord your God, all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind. And the follow is just as important, right? Love others, your neighbor as yourself. It's foundational. If you cannot love God past yourself, you're just focused on yourself, that you're not going to do this. If you cannot love your neighbor as you love yourself, well, clearly you're not loving God, right? It shows. Just like Christian unity, right? You have to have Christian love and Christian humility. You never have unity without those other two. They all work together. The disciple of Christ must also focus on Jesus. I just added this in there, Hebrews 12. Lay aside every weight, the sin which easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. And where are your eyes looking? Place them upon Christ as you run this race. He set good works in front of you to do. When our eyes are off of Christ, it's very easy. I know I'm human just like you. It's easy to justify sin. It's easy to accept what my flesh says and go, you know what, that's okay. It's easy to say, vengeance is mine. Thus saith Tyson, right? No, it's not mine. You and I are are commissioned, we're called, we're commanded. You got to go the extra mile. You got to lay down that life. Let go of this world. It's got nothing for you. Grab hold of that cross that the world says is foolish. Come follow the Savior. Keep your eyes upon Him. He's precious. The disciple also must, and I put, be faithful in reading God's Word and prayer. This has to be a new year where you have a time of devotion. If you have that, keep going. If you don't, start it. If it's hard for you, start with five minutes. Add five minutes and add some time to it. If you don't know where to read, read the Gospel of John. Start there. Learn who this Savior is. Be lost. Just how glorious and mighty and loving our Savior is. I believe the disciple must also regularly attend on Sunday and connect with a life group. Be here. Be strengthened. Be encouraged. I always say it's a two-way road. You know, sometimes we think, well, I need to come in here. No, sometimes you just you need to be here to help someone else. Your, t- your gifts, your talents, they need to be here as well. Sometimes we need others to lift us up, hold us up, strengthen us. Sometimes we have a hard week. I just need that one friend to say, you know what, it's going to be okay. I'm going to pray for you. This. Let's pray right now. There's moments. You should feel the freedom to talk with someone going, you know what, let's pray right now. You need that. I guess what, your friends, they need you to go to prayer too. Let me pray for you. There's nothing wrong. I know people are talking and being obnoxious over here because I know those faith community people, but we're going to pray. Pray. Please pray. If you have nothing else in your life is going great, pray for your pastor. Please pray for me. Pray for your leadership. 
intercede on their behalf, call our names out all the time. The enemy does not want to see a light shine bright here. Right? I pray for you. I do this in my own devotion time. I was here yesterday praying, and I like to take a visual snapshot in my head where you're all sitting. I like to walk around, pray for you. I think of you. I strengthen them, encourage them. I know it's a dark world out there. Our, our Savior's overcome all of it. All authority is His. Be encouraged by that. And the last point here is evangelize the lost with your life and your words. Evangelize the lost with your life and your words. Your eyes upon this Savior. See what wonderful things He'll do when you trust Him and you stand out there in faith. As I was doing my devotion time yesterday, I, I just want to encourage you. Actually, I was going to mention a few devotionals that I like. Um, if, you, if you're in need of one, uh, Charles Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, I highly recommend that one. That's one you could read through and again and again and again. Uh, J.C. Ryle has. Uh, this uh, devotional called, <clears throat> someone put it together, of course, J.C. Rell is going to be with the Lord many years ago, but um, called Daily Readings, and it's morning and evening as well. It's all taken from his expository thoughts of the gospel. I encourage you to read J.C. Ryle as well. Uh, one I, I, I use often is the Valley of Vision. Um, it's just Puritan prayers. I love to read them. I love Joel Beakey when he says, you know, the Puritans would always say, pray until you pray. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. I don't know if you've ever felt like just sitting down and praying. Sometimes you've got to pray for a while, then you start praying. I think there's a lot of truth to that. But in my, in my devotion yesterday, I was reading uh, this prayer. I, I'm not going to read the whole prayer to you, but I, I found myself asking God on behalf of Faith Community Bible Church that we would be this church. The, the, the prayer is simply one, Lord, you know, empty me that you can be glorified in me. And then he ends the prayer with this list of things that, that he says, I, I, you know, let the angels sing for this. And as I read through them, I probably have a hard time reading them. I asked that our church would be the same. So he says, let angels in a chorus faith community Bible church, let us sing for sinners repenting and prodigals restored, backsliders reclaimed and Satan's captives released, blind eyes opened. Broken hearts bound up, the despondent cheered, self-righteous stripped. The formless driven from a refuge of lies. The ignorant enlightened and saints built up in their holy faith. And he ends it by saying, I ask great things of a great God. I said, Lord, let this be us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this wonderful privilege of prayer. You are the King, the Lord, the Creator. You are omniscient, omnipotent, immutable. You're righteous and holy and just. You are love. It's hard for us to comprehend how you spoke and everything came into existence, and yet 
You hear us when we pray. And I ask God that for us, as followers of Jesus Christ, that you would continue that good work, that we would see the, the gifts and abilities you've placed in us are for a purpose. Not only do you delight in, Lord, us coming and repenting, loving you, desiring to see you glorified, you delight just like the angels when they rejoice, when others come to know you. So I pray that we'd have that burden, the burden to glorify you, the burden to see others come to know you. That we would see the lost as valuable because they're created. We'd also realize that Christ has authority over all of it. He has placed us in the middle of it. And he assures us he'll never, he'll never leave us nor forsake us as we share your truth. I know it can be scary, God. I, I, we're human. This is scary. But let us share you without fear. Let us trust you to go the extra mile. That you would add the strength. You would give the grace. You would give the wisdom. You would give us the ability to turn the cheek or maybe walk away from a situation that just doesn't glorify you. You'd give us discernment. But Lord, as we live our lives, you, you're, not, you're not a God who makes mistakes. And so I pray that we realize your sovereignty, we realize your power, realize your might, we also realize that we are your hands and feet and you desire to work in us and through us. So Lord, we simply ask, be glorified, glorified in your church, giving us an awakening to the precepts, the commands of your word. Let us love you more today than we did yesterday. Let us be encouraged, and then when those difficult, hard days come where, where we just we sin, let us know what to do about it. Let us repent quickly. And let us make, make it right with others if that's what we need to do. But in our lives, in your church, God, I ask you be glorified. You have all authority. You've given us the command. You've given us assurance. Let us trust you at your word. Let us be obedient. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.